Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Hi everyone, I am Ayushi Mona, your host on India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature. Today I have with me Jenny Bhatt. Jenny is a writer, a literary translator and a book critic. She hosts uh, the Desi Books podcast. Her writing has appeared across BBC Culture, Washington Post, The Atlantic, Scroll, a bunch of other places. Jenny's recently translated uh, Whom Ketu. Uh, for those of you who do not know uh, who Whom Ketu is, Whom Ketu was the pen name of Gauri Shankar Joshi, who was one of Gujarat's most prolific writers in the early 20th century. I will actually hand this over to Jenny to tell us a bit about uh, Dhumketu and and how did she stumble upon uh, this process of uh, writing and translating and and how does she now work on Dhumketu because she's also worked on her own original writing. So how did the translation segue? Welcome to the show, Jenny, and literally throwing it in your court at the beginning. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Ayushi. I appreciate this opportunity to be on this uh, show. And I love how you, you know, like you said, you lean into the idea of India through its literature. That's just, that's kind of a little bit of what I try to do with my podcast as well. So I think it's it's great. So coming to Dhumketu, in my case, Dhumketu was a name I heard often while growing up from my mother. She was a big reader. She hadn't even finished her college degree before she was married off, um, because women in that generation, that's kind of what happened. But she was a big reader throughout her life, and uh, Gujarati literature is what she loved the most. And she read Dhumketu, Meghani, you know, uh, uh, Saraswati Chandra, and um, a bunch of other well-known Gujarati writers. And, you know, I, I guess for me, you know, we would hear some of Thumketu's stories, uh, the age-appropriate ones, I guess, from her as bedtime stories. But that was about the extent of it. I never actually read his work until um, when she passed away in 2014, I inherited her small personal library. And that's when I realized how much she appreciated Dhumketu because she had all his books, basically, all his fiction, I should say, not not the nonfiction. She had all his short story collections, all his novels. And then that's when I, you know, I was already a short story writer myself by that time. And I loved the short story form. I used to write a monthly short stories column for a U.S. venue. Uh, I, I did, as a literary critic, I reviewed mostly short story collections. So I was very fascinated by the form and I was looking to find and go beyond, you know, our usual Tagore and Princh and then Manto, you know. And so when I found these books finally and I started going through them, reading through them, I was taken aback by how, you know, a lot of the stories felt, even though the era or the setting was not our time, the, t- the themes felt contemporary to me. And interestingly, a lot of the preoccupations uh, in Dhumketu's stories, which are about caste and class and gender and, you know, how our work 
defines us. It, it, it's just this weird coincidence where those were all the themes that I'd been writing about in my own short stories that were getting published at the time in literary magazines. Well, before before I started reading them, Ketu, actually. So then I thought, well, you know, um, let me try to translate a couple of them because I also love the Gujarati language. And I thought, you know, it, it, it just helps me immerse myself. And I, I've done translation before, but just never had anything published book length. So I just started to translate. And then as I was sending my own short story collection out to agents and publishers, I happened to mention in my author bio, oh, yeah, and I'm also translating Dhumketu. And my agent for Dhumketu, who's Kanishka Gupta, he called me after an email that I sent him, like half an hour after, and he says, I'm more interested in the Dhumketu translation than I am in your own book. He says, your book is great, but it's not going to do so well in India. So, um, But the Dhumketu book will do great in India. And uh, knowing him and his uh, reputation, I think he was quite on point. <laughs> well, he, well, I mean, I, I'm still a little disappointed, to be honest, that my own collection couldn't get published in India. It did get published in the US and it's doing well. I'm happy about that. But, you know, my stories are also about India and I really did want to get them out there. Now, it's fine. I mean, he's right. He, he knows commercially what works, you know, and it's a commercial decision. Um, it's it's not so much about sentiments and you know what stories are written well. At the end of the day, it's a business decision. And he knew that as Dumketu has had no book length translation, and yet as a writer and as a short story pioneer, he's known as the Gujarati short story pioneer. He hasn't been known outside of the Gujarati community as much as you know Tagore and Manto and Premchand, right? And they were his contemporaries. So, I mean, Kanishka and then my editor at HarperCollins, who also jumped on the book, you know, they, they commercially and business-wise are savvy people. They knew that this is a, a project worth taking on. So, Jenny, um, you know, while you were speaking, um, you touched upon so many things. And, and we'll, of course, unravel uh, each of them, right? One is, of course, the commercial aspect, which we just ended the snippet with, um, or the fact that you've written short stories, right? And and I think your collection in the U.S. is called Each One of Us, of Us Killers, my bad, sorry. I haven't read it yet, um, but, I, but I presume a copy is available on the Kindle, should I wish to read it? Yes, ebooks are available, uh, in, you know, on Amazon India. And, you know, just for your listeners, you don't have to have a Kindle to read it. You can actually just download the free Kindle app on any device, any mobile device or, or even laptop, and you can still read the book that way. And and it's actually one of the greatest ways to, you know, discover books that, you you know, may not really be say, published or available uh, as yet, right? Or, and then sometimes, you know, uh, it... It's also, I think, a really um, great way to uh, read books that maybe say uh, be published a little later in your country or have, you know, and, and I've seen that uh, discovery can take you to interesting places. Moving on from, you know, uh, the commercial aspect, which again, I'll come back to a little later in the conversation. I want to go back to what you started with, which is which is the whole short story piece. And in fact, your translator's introduction, Jenny, starts with saying um, that, you know, the short story form uh, is an in- 
comparable flower in the in the garden of literature right and it's exquisitely beautiful and it's electrifying as a bolt of lightning to me I, and when i was reading and and i have to say this i i read the translator's introduction and of course then you know i uh, moved on to reading the author's uh, introduction and uh, and the stories but i once i finished reading all the stories in the books and have copious thoughts uh, in the margins i i came back and i reread the translator's introduction because to me you'd elucidated a lot of things very beautifully there and and we which i want to touch upon one's of course and and which i'm going to ask you up front is the short story um as a format i uh, for one of course like most indian children right we grow up reading short stories in the name of english literature so our textbooks are basically h h munro or anton chekhov or you know or 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 you know excerpts or mostly short stories really you don't have novels as a sign reading until unless you're like maybe in in the 9th or the 10th class or something it comes way way later your introduction to literature is by way of short stories do you uh, feel that the short story as as a writing format and from a critic's lens perhaps is is what i'm asking not so much uh, as the author of this book what do you think really makes it stand out yeah well so the, that's a great question and i i mean I, there's a lot of i have a lot of thoughts about it i'll try and distill them because there's i mean i could write a whole essay there's two aspects to your question and it, it's very interesting that you bring up the schooling aspect and the the way that we are exposed uh, because i i grew up in india i went to school in india so i know exactly what you're talking about in terms of you know our introduction to fiction to literature in our schools is in the form of short stories for the majority you know it's only when we get older you know for me it was 8th 9th 10th onwards that we got into novels and you know what what's interesting though is that the writers you mentioned the short story writers um they are what we call classic european and in some cases classic american writers right and a lot of them um i've looked at the curriculum again is a lot of them are white male writers and i think what happens is we end up as kids you know our our other exposure to short to the short story form is at least for me it was the amar chitra katha you know the the epics which are distilled into shorter stories right each graphic short story each each comic to me was a short story right so but but it was in the graphic format and so they were giving us these bite-sized chunks of uh epics and so we never you know we never really got in our schooling uh, unless we had you know in our hindi class or a marathi class or whatever gujarati class we would have maybe you know the odd story by premchand or or manto not even manto manto was too risky for us but you know premchand maybe or whatever and so i think our because our exposure to the short story form in india as from a young age was for the majority to white male class what's considered the classic the canonical writers right which let's be honest how much did we identify with the worlds that they described yes some of them did have universal themes but as children we don't understand that we need physical markers we need to be able to look out the window and say oh yeah that book that i have in front of me 
I mean, as children, as older people, we read differently. But as kids, when we look up from a book, we need to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's that's my world. I see it. We need to see some representation. And not only were we not seeing that representation in the short stories that we were learning and being taught, but the way we were being taught as well. It was for a particular purpose. It was so we could sit, take an English literature exam and pass it. And so we had to memorize the details of a story, right? And and make sure we understood it that in a certain way, which wasn't how I teach now that I teach, how I teach people to read and appreciate a short story. So I, I want to make that point because I think that has a lot to do with why short stories, when we translate them, from regional languages, like with Dumketu, Premchand, and, and Tagore, they do much better in India than an Anglophone writer like myself, even though my stories are very Indian and they're using the same language as the translation is, right? And yet, you know, the commercial, the, the contemporary short story by an Anglophone writer generally only does well if the writer is already an established writer like Ashoba Day or, you know, Twinkle Khanna or somebody, right? Like they've already well known. So so let me come back to, so that's one thing I want to make. That's one point. Let's put that aside. Coming back to the short story form as a critic and what I think of it. So you mentioned, or you read a little bit from the introduction, the translator's introduction, where I was quoting how Dumketu felt about the short story. He was also a literary critic. He loved the short story form. And he was the one who said, it's like this beautiful you know, flower in the garden of literature. And it's like this little spark or illusion. And he wrote, he, he in his time, he pushed back a lot. As you see in the excerpt of his introduction, which is in the book, he pushed back a lot on people who tried to say that a short story was just a shorter version of a novel. And he was like, no, these are two very different forms of literature. You don't approach reading a short story the same way that you approach reading a novel. And so he, he, he wrote extensively about it. That's just a little bit that I put in there, but he's, he wrote essays in literary magazines, Gujarati literary magazines at the time, saying, you know, this is the short story form, but we, don't, we need to understand it better. And I will say, for me personally, as a critic and as a writer and as a, someone who loves the short story form, I've always seen it as it, it doesn't give you a whole character arc or a whole plot arc. That's not its purpose. That's what a novel does. A novel has three pages in which it can describe a sunset. A short story has maybe three lines. Okay, so with a short story, everything has to have a punch. Every word, every sentence has to have some reason for being there. And what's more, I think of a short story as, you know, it's it's telling you about a life-defining moment or event in a character's life. And it is that moment from which we can look back on the entire character's life and look forward from. So you look back from and look forward from. So it is a single moment or event, a singular life-defining moment or event. It isn't supposed to be a whole lifespan, a whole plot. Now, that's not to say we can't have short stories that do that, and many writers have done that, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and even Tagore has done that. And that's fine. Those, those, those are fine too. But in general, people, I think, approach the short story expecting it to be a compact version of a novel 
And it's just, that's not its purpose. That's not what it's there for. It's there to show us that one singular life-defining moment or event in a person's life and, and show it in a different way at a level of depth that we wouldn't see otherwise. So that that's my take. Is it controversial, Jenny, if I ask you that, do you think that the short story is a true test of the metal of a writer versus a novel? The reason I ask you this question is, right, that a lot of luminaries, you know, uh, who, as you mentioned in the translators and the author's introduction, um, for instance, uh, a Tolstoy, right, or a, a Marquez, right, people who write both novels and short stories, do you think that because the, as you very rightly say, right, the canvas that you have, you know, and, and, and then perhaps because scarcity brings out the best, right? Do you think people who only write short stories or authors who write both novels and short stories are actually better writers when they write short stories versus novels? Well, so I think, you know, as you rightly said, there are some writers who do both and they do them very well. And then there are some writers like Alice Munro and Grace Paley who've stuck with short stories and never written novels. And then there are novelists who've never written short stories. So I think it comes down to it. it I don't I, personally, I don't like to compare the two. You know, Laurie Moore, who's a short story writer, she says that um, uh, she, she's used this uh, thing where she says that a, a novel is like a marriage and a short story is like a little affair. They're two very different things. You get into them for different reasons. Um, there's another writer, I think it's Catherine Mansfield, who said that a short story is like a photograph. And a novel is like a movie. I'm trying to, I, I may have got that person wrong. But so you think of both of these, they're two very different um, mediums in a way, right? A photograph, when you take a photograph, you're thinking about how to frame it, what's in the frame, what, out, what you have to leave out. And you have to leave out a lot, right? When you take a photograph, you, you, you have to frame it very carefully so that what you are taking a picture of stands out the way you need it to stand out so that it catches the light properly and everything. So to me, a short story is very much about that framing of that singular event or moment. Whereas a movie, you have props, you have multiple people, multiple voices, lots of characters. Again, not to say that a short story can't have that, but you know the brevity and the economy of that space limits you to certain things. So to me, these are, I feel like these are two very different skills. A good movie maker can take good photographs, but a good photographer does, you know, but it's not normal. It's not usual. And the same way a good photographer doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make a good movie. You know, these are two, to me, they are two different forms. So I don't, it is controversial, like you said, because a lot of people try to say, oh yeah, you know, uh, and, and this is that mindset in India where they will be more accepting of short stories from somebody who's already written a novel. And I feel like, why? Why are you more accepting? I'll be honest with you. I've read novelists in India who I think are terrific. And then they put out a short story collection and I think, oh no, this is not working. You know, or vice versa. I'll see a short story writer who's trying to do novels because that's what sells. And I'm thinking, you're so much better at the short story form and I wish they would pay you. And I'm not going to name the names, but these are all Indian writers. I think. You know, unfortunately, writers succumb to the uh, commercial pressures. And so you've got somebody who might be a very good short story writer 
who feels they have to write a novel because that's what sells. And then there's a novelist who feels that, okay, you know, I've written a few novels and now I'm going to write a short story collection to round out my, uh, you know, my, my portfolio. And I just feel like I wish we as readers and we, those of us in the critics um, establishment and also publishers would just step back and treat these as two different forms and not, you know, pressure authors to try to do one versus another because we come to this with different skill sets. So, yeah. I think that's immensely well put in and I think both the analogies that you used, right, uh, I I can see why uh, just because it's the written form, right, much like a, a photograph or a film, both are visual forms, one should really not, you know, look at it in, in a silo as, as, you know, the form being representative of the art that finally gets created. My next question, Jenny, to you is uh, that we discussed a lot about this whole white male piece, right? And Dhumketu's work is very interesting here, right? In in this context, because he, I think even one of your, uh, one of the stories from your collection has his translation of Gorky's work. Did I get that right? Yeah, Maxim Gorky's. There's one story, you're absolutely right, which he, it's more a retelling. Um, it's it's not a direct translation but it's a it's a retelling where he recasts the story for indian for gujarati culture you know he makes it more pertinent to the gujarati and our indian culture and there's also uh, again uh, a lot of impact right that european uh, literature in russian and american short stories of the 19th and early and whom ketu was writing has on gujarati literature and this was very fascinating to me. Of course, much like everyone else, I'm absolutely ignorant of literature uh, from Gujarat uh, because uh, because while I've say read literature translated from like a, a Bangla to English, which is obviously a lot more common, or or now occasionally uh, Tamilian writers and and uh, and and a lot more writing is mercifully being translated. But Gujarati literature, of course, is something that I was not very well aware of in this whole uh, cultural exchange, right, that happens when somebody like a Bhoginder uh, Devetya translates Tolstoy into Gujarati and then, you know, Dhunketu and how he's influenced. And, and of course, this whole aspect of him uh, and the kind of interface that he has with like Tagore's works or Gibran's works, right? And he's translating them. What is this cultural milieu um, in terms of Dhumketu's writing and in terms of Gujarati literature during this time? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I I feel like the little research that I did so that I could write that introduction, I, I barely scratched the surface. And I would love to, you know, if I could go back in time, I would love to go and finish that uh, degree in Gujarati literature that my mother never got to finish because there is so much to learn. And so, as you rightly said, there was a point in time when, given the, the rise of the European short story with, you know, Tolstoy and Saki and uh, Chekhov and, and all these writers, was making its way into India because, of course, we were still in the colonial times then. 
And so European short story was making its way into India. And you had these, you know, handful of, you know, brave Gujarati literary folks like Devetia who decided to uh, translate them. And that just set off this, you know, sea change of events. Because once you, you know, people started reading those and then they really, they turned back and looked at the Gujarati short story form and said, well, you know, okay, so our stories don't necessarily do that. Because till then, our stories were more didactic or they were more religion driven or nationalism driven or humor, satire. Satire was and remain, continues to remain very big in Gujarati literature. And that's good. And then, of course, as we said, you know, with Tagore's work being translated, uh, Gibran's work being translated, well, Gibran's was poetry, but Tagore especially. Uh, even Premchand's work got translated to some extent. So I think it certainly influenced. There were a lot of literary essays being written, not just by Dumketu, but by others, criticism, literary criticism in Gujarati magazines. And it was not just criticism of Gujarati literature. They were writing these amazing essays about the literary landscape that they were coming into contact with, right, which was also from other languages. And so, as I say, I've only scratched the surface. I wish I could go back and read all those magazines and understand what they thought of all the stuff that was coming, you know, across the waters, as it were. And certainly, like you said, it influenced the Gujarati short story form, the social realism aspect, especially that came across from European short stories. And even, you know, Dhumketu, when he first started writing his stories in terms of literary devices, I would say, understanding how plot and character worked, understanding that, you know, you don't just do pages and pages of describing a character's interior mindset. You have to allow, you have to show it through how they experience the world around them. And so there's that, you know, what he talked about, tanka. Tanka means spark. Tanka in Gujarati means spark. And he talked about how you just have to spark the reader's imagination. You have to imply things. You don't have to spell everything out. You can't anyways, because the short story is, you know, the economy and the brevity of a short story means you have to choose your words carefully. You can say only so many things, but you say them very pointedly and you leave that lasting impression. And so that's, you know, I certainly think the European short story form influenced, you know, uh, the Gujarati short story and even other, a lot, a lot of other writers, Arkinarayan's short stories, uh, Tagore himself, who was a well-educated, well-read man with a huge library of, you know, European and American literature. To me, this entire cultural exchange is so fascinating, Jenny. And, you know, while you were speaking, and I'm just musing to myself, right, that this is, say, the turn of the century, and uh, there's an independence movement afoot and like for instance right Gandhi read a lot of European writers and there's the board and changing the landscape or approach that a lot of regional writers have and if I were to say draw a parallel to today right if there is so much potential of a very similar cultural exchange right when we take our regional literature sort of make it more accessible across languages and I and of course I don't mean just translating into English, but there is so much potential because there are 
these fascinating stories and of times and people and which we have no longer any access to because either we live like very sort of uh, you know sterile and, and commonplace urban lives or or is just lost because everyone has say only so many hours in the day and we consume what's presented to us but a lot of what we see today i think as content consumption right whether it's like on an ott platform or movies you see all of these stories of you know the heartland right in in say the case of say like a bollywood cinema malayalam movies for instance obviously do this better because they're much closer right and and hence mumbai and and the hindi film industry and and the tv industry when they want to sort of bring out stories right they'll bring out stories of uh up and bihar or you know or haryana or something right uh, but i think there is so much potential for people to now start reading uh, stories uh, that were written in these other languages i was just you know very recently i i spoke to priyanka sarkar who translated uh, bhairvi uh, again i did not even know that shivani was a padmashri winning writer or that she was an extremely commercially successful writer way back in the 60s and 70s and literally magazines sold because of her name and and this was like a, a woman writer uh, uh, i mean just a housewife right if you sort of divorce her writing she was not uh, somebody who was a celebrity in the sense of a political figure or something right she was just an, an average woman writing from her with a family and spinning out these best sellers of say which which today we would look at as feminist fiction because they talk about passion and betrayal and love and women making their own choices yeah no i mean to your i think you raise a lot of excellent points i think the first point you make is about how you know we in today's world you would think with the 24/7 access that we have to media and information and literature from everywhere all around the world you would think we'd be more informed but i think what's happened is we end up living more and more in our own echo chambers or filter bubbles so we even though we have access because in so on social media we have you know we stick with our our circles and so we don't get to know what's outside of that as much unless we make an effort so that's the first thing and i think to your point about when that cultural exchange is possible even now i think the same way that european literature permeated boundaries and entered india because of colonization or whatever yeah the same way now we have an opportunity as more enlightened citizens to take our own regional literature and make it permeate boundaries and get into the anglophone world within india and i think what it does like you said reading these stories and i've had some feedback you know from readers on on instagram and goodreads also saying how much they love you know getting this whole different slice of life and different view of gujarati culture they're not gujarati themselves so they have these you know stereotypes sometimes in their mind about gujarati people or the culture and how these stories even though they're set in a different time some of them are timeless because they're still you know giving them a good view and understanding of the culture and so i think that is to your point yes we've had some good, a lot of stuff from bangla we've had a lot of tamil malayalam even with kr meera's tra- books being translated these days we have a lot from urdu 
you know, with uh, Isma Chuptai, Manto, the Hindi Urdu. So we've not had that much from Gujarati literature being translated. We have we have had, I will point out a couple of good ones in case your listeners want to know. We've had K.M. Munshi's epic Patan trilogy. There's a three a three novel volume by K.M. Munshi called the Patan trilogy. And that was translated by the amazing Rita Kothari and... Uh, her husband, Abhishek Kotari, and it came out with Penguin Random House a few years ago. And that's a great one to get into if you want to read all about. I mean, put aside Game of Thrones. They should make the part and trilogy into a TV series, I'm telling you. There is just so much royalty, intrigue, and war, and this and that in there, I'm telling you. It's fascinating. There's also Karan Gelo, uh, translated by Ayad Mukherjee and one other person. I forget the other translator's name. I beg your pardon. But uh, Karan Gelo is also about a king. And, and, you know, how he had to leave his kingdom and run away after losing a war. And, you know, there's a lot of other things in there. There's obviously Tridip Sarud's very scholarly translation of Saraswati Chandra, which uh, Govardhan Ram Srimanth Tripathi, who that book was made into a big movie, right, years ago, decades ago with Nutan. Everybody knows the movie. Not many people have read the book. So I would say, you know, Gujarati literature, we have a lot of scope. There's a lot of women writers. We're talking right now, I've mentioned all these male writers from Gujarat who've been translated, but there's also been, as you pointed out with Shivani, there's been women writers who won Sahitya Academy Awards and nobody knows about them. And they've written feminist work. Uh, the only one that I think people may know is Ila Arab Mehta, who was also translated by uh, Rita Kothari, one of her novels called Fence, which I highly recommend, set in Ahmedabad contemporary times. So I would say there's so much scope. You're absolutely right. And I wish, I think there will, that I, I know at least two other Gujarati to English translators. One of them had a novel out and then she didn't do any more after that because she was disappointed with how it didn't fare very well. I don't know why that was, but it didn't. And then the other uh, translator lives, actually lives in the US. And I'm not, again, she's not, you know, she likes the work, but she doesn't like all the activity after you get a book launched, you know? So I'm not sure if she's going to be wanting to do that. But I do believe that we lose something culturally when we when our literary works get neglected and forgotten. Because a book, to me, is a literary artifact. It's a record, in a way, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. It is a record of how things were or how they were seen by the writers and thinkers of their times. So in that sense, it is a historical, a literary, and an aesthetic artifact as well. So to me, preserving these, elevating these through translation so that we can find new audiences, I feel like that's just such an important task. And I wish I had come to this sooner, but I had a, you know, I had a whole full-time working life that I couldn't, you know, I had to pay my bills. But I wish I could have come to this task sooner. I wish there were more of us out there doing translations. And I wish the industry, let's be frank, I wish the industry paid us well enough because it's a lot of work. It's hard work. So, yeah, I think you're right that there's great opportunity given the, you know, the cultural exchange uh, possibilities. But there's a lot of factors that are not allowing us to get there. Uh, I'll, I'll mention one last thing and then I'll pause. But um, 
I find, you know, I follow a bunch of folks, readers uh, on social media, and I love how everybody gets so excited about the Booker Prize and the JCB Prize and, you know, all the amazing new books by, you know, Anglophone writers, you know, writers, whether they're in the West or in India, but Anglophone writers. And I wished, I, I just, I keep thinking, why don't we get as excited about our own culture? that we have so much diversity and if nothing else if nothing else translated books like these which give us a window into another culture in our own country it will help us appreciate the diversity and tolerate the diversity a lot more and right now given our political times what we need more than anything else is that appreciation and tolerance of diversity right would you agree you know um jenny you made such fantastic points i uh, and and i'm so glad you gave out a bunch of those reading recommendations because i i was of course anyway going to ask you and i just realized that while you were mentioning right i have actually read trip's work because i studied uh, for two years at amdabad and he was the acting director of my institution <laughs> uh, so uh, I I realized that okay at least I've read one of these and I'm going to uh, you know obviously I have a note of these and I'm going to read them for sure and other things also I think that, that there's there's so much um, uh, you know and I think one of the most fascinating pieces right with all of these uh, different literary works is is their whole commercialization and you're very right that it's so easy to get excited about you know uh, and and i and and i'm obviously on multiple book groups and i run one myself and and we've done 80 90 book club meetups and every time it's people getting excited about the silent patient or or murakami or something like that right and you have to sort of prod people along and tell them that ah like have you tried reading abni or amrita mahale or a jerry pinto Uh, you know just the sheer breadth of good indian writers in english today is stunning unfortunately i think for most people in their heads right and i'm and i hope that people don't stop listening to my podcast because of this and i hope i don't sound judgmental but i think a lot of people think of indian writing in english right as very binary they think of these superstar commercial writers who sell gazillions of books are uh, writing what is uh, by by way of literary merit considered mediocre or they think of indian writing in english to be you know uh, something that's only the custodian of a gentleman who's won the booker prize and indian writing at these very fag ends and and when i started the podcast you know i and, and why i did not want to do every kind of literature there in the world is because i realized that i was reading such fantastic writing in english and i wanted to speak to people about it i i'm just chuckling to myself because 100% agree with you on how people really need to reimagine and introduce themselves to books just look at the number of literary adaptations that netflix makes in the us versus the number of adaptations that get made in india i mean i'm glad that there's something like a scam 1992 which cheta dalal wrote and uh, a patal lok of course uh, which they did not mention tejpal due to obviously all the uh, me to faces 
but but at least but but did you did yeah but speaking of that did you watch panchayat i loved that you were talking about you know how rural life and getting to know about up and bihar and all that panchayat was is a tv series on amazon and and you know i think just panchayat and what dhumketu wrote right and that's why i i love the book i mean i i went and i rated the book day on goodreads before uh, we were due to have a conversation and and you know i loved reading the volume uh, of the stories that you've translated number one because of course they're very universal in nature and a lot of reviewers have also spoken about you know uh, say the relationship between a parent and a child or how your public life or the the time and the uh, you know circumstance it's very universal and very human really right um and and also it's very geographically diverse so for some reason right because because when i read the blurb i thought oh dhumketu is a gujarati writer so i had this before starting the book very absurd imagination that oh this will just be based in gujarat because for some reason we think that regional writers only write about their region in their regional language right as if they don't have world views right well and in yeah no to your point i I was surprised too when I first started reading his short stories I thought they were all going to be set in Gujarat then I find all these stories from the northeast and then there was a couple that are also set in the south then I found that he wrote a lot of travel memoirs and he traveled a lot and so you know I mean you're right we have these Im- ideas about certain writers in our heads and then we read their work and we find that maybe you know we were not we didn't know enough but to your point i think uh you know can i just mention coming back to the the you know that where you said that you you want people to you know read some of these other indian writers and and people look at the two fag ends like you were saying right you've got the extreme uh, commercially successful folks and then you've got this uh, extremely literary award winning and there's like there's this whole spectrum in between and we don't seem to know enough about them or or even care and i think what that speaks to is something that i think is at the root of why you and i both have the podcasts that we do so i want to mention that and what that because what that speaks to is the things that our mainstream media likes to promote because if you look at what these when you talk about these two fagans our mainstream media which covers books wh- whoever's covering books which there isn't a lot of book coverage unfortunately in india but you know whoever is covering these books they like to cover you know the prize winners the booker winners and the whatever or they like to cover these commercially highly successful writers who may not be the best writers but because they have some celebrity because they happen to have some bollywood or cricket connection or political connection and so it's because of what the mainstream media is promoting that the average reader gets focused on those kinds of books so what podcasts like yours and like mine try to do is we're trying to bring to readers these other books that are out there right you and i are trying to highlight and spotlight these other books i do the same with my podcast i don't have on my show the award winning writers or the hugely commercially successful i'm bringing i hope writers who i think deserve more attention so i think that this space this kind of non traditional space we you and i are filling a gap that we feel isn't uh being addressed by 
our newspapers and mainstream media, correct? Absolutely. You know, um, to to your you know Jenny, your credit, and to all the translators, um, and to uh, you know people who are trying to speak of these things right in the mainstream. It's there. India is such a huge market, right? Of expectations, of culture, um, of uh, everything, right? That there's always room for everyone, and I'm always fascinated by when I learn how much Indians read. You know, uh, in India as a country is a country of readers. It's a country where newspapers are still very well read, very well received. despite like having cheap uh, mobile and internet connections where people can read news on the phone because we are a nation of readers in 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 a lot of ways and and also a nation of business because of this whole uh, impact and influence that we've had due to radio so of course video is a big thing and and what is big and what is newsworthy or celebrity or bollywood cricket and those the larger things will of course always endure in the mass and public imagination but there's room for so much reception of niche writing right even today what we know as like popular fiction something like something books like ola nuja chohan writes when she wrote the zoya factor and i i was in 8th grade when it came out you know uh, i i remember the first one of the first interviews she gave was on ndtv and it was like one of these 4 pm or 6 pm slots that no one watched news in and then they only interviewed her because it was related to cricket but but the book found so much love and it grew um and last year when we say hosted amrita for milk tea to jane borges and we spoke to her for bombay balchao at at my, at my book club right we realized that when people read these books they love them because this is your neighborhood and the spice that you make your prawn uh, curry in and the matunga cafe where you have your idli at and these things are so much emotional connect <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's 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 representation. You see your life, your worldview, and yourself in a way represented in that literature. So you know, coming back to the point you were saying earlier, and I just remember this. You were saying how you know in school we you know the the writers you mentioned that you studied and I too when we were growing up in school in India. Here's the thing. About two years ago, I went to look at I think it was the ICSC or SSC syllabus. Okay, for English literature, for uh, I think it was ninth and tenth grade. I just wanted to see what they were studying, and you know, here's the sad part: there was not, there was maybe just one Indian novelist on there. We our school curricula has to change because we need to get to readers from an early age. Now, luckily, people like you did find Zoya Factor when you were in eighth grade, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of eighth graders who don't know about our Indian writers because what they're being given. to study are still white classic european and american writers which i don't understand why why are our own educators not saying hey let's study a, a, an isma chuktai book let's study a krishna sobti novel let's study a km munshi novel you know why not absolutely i think for me um, you know it's been such a great session jenny to talk to you about this and i'm taking away so much from this session uh, of course i've had the good fortune and the privilege to finish reading your book before speaking to you and for everyone who's hearing this podcast 
please uh, do read you know jenny's book it's available at independent bookstores it's available online on on your amazons and flipkarts you can check it out on harper collins website uh, there's also a book trailer for those of you who want to sort of get a glimpse of what it's all about the stories are so universal so humane um, and and very very uh, approachable because they're not uh, you know for a certain generation or a certain time they can pretty much be read by anyone and everyone i really recommend that people go and read our, the book and and, uh, and pick it up and i for one at least personally i'm definitely going to check out your work which is not out and published in india yet but available on kindle so i'm going to do that as well thank you so much ayushi i i really appreciate um this this opportunity and i thoroughly enjoyed our discussion i just felt like yeah i think we connected on many levels so i really appreciate that thank you so much jenny and thank you you know once again for doing this Uh, you know when i got your book and i read like namita's blurb and jerry pinto's blurb and i was like okay fine every book has a blurb like what's the big deal right they, i mean it's the pr and marketing team's job to give you guys a good cover and and have people say nice things but it's very very well deserved right and and something like you know jerry pinto even says about train your telescopes and whom ketu is here yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's a great it's a great quote. Yeah. Yeah, it, there's so much possibility to love these books and learn from them. And uh, I I am just thankful for your time and for the privilege of having you share uh you know your point of view of of course translating the work and 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 your journey uh with Dhumketu but also sharing so many personal pertinent points about the short story as a format about how we are, how we consume literature in our schools and everything else so thank you so much thank you thank you ayushi i appreciate it do not forget to tune into us on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts gana and hd smartcast